When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You are listening to Claret and Blue, an Aston Villa podcast brought to you by Birmingham Live. Hello, welcome back to the Claret and Blue podcast. My name is Dan Rowlandson. I'm joined by a very special guest this evening. For those that are watching on Facebook or YouTube, you can see who it is. For those on the on the audio platform watching later on, you want to introduce yourself, Max Stokes? Yeah, hello, I'm Max, uh, known from Villa on Tour. I'm very happy to be on the on the channel for the first time. A little bit annoyed that I'm having to come on and talk about what we've just seen. Um, but no, nah, nevertheless, happy to be on, mate. Second time you've been on, actually. We did a video, didn't we? In the- oh, in the- yeah, we did a podcast. That was ages ago, that was. That was like 18 months ago, wasn't it? Even more, maybe. Talking about now, because we've only done the podcast for a year, mate. This was like January or February we did this. This was That was 2020. If you, I mean, it's been a long year. It's this year, it's crazy. But yes, this is, the, this is the first match day video that you've done with us. Um, Mackin is off, Ash Bruce is on holiday, and James Russian is at Villa Park. Um, I mean, James not seeing any goals, but he's there reporting for us tonight, which is which is nice. Let's talk about the game though. Um, frustration is this is the key word, isn't it? I think. How do you sum up what you what you've seen tonight? Oh, geez. it's just one. It's just one of them. I think. 27, 28 shots. I think mm. seven were on target. I think, ah, oh, finishing. I tweeted it. Get them straight back on the bus. Get to Bodymore and practice it. I think. I don't but think not. we were bad. I don't think we were bad at all. But defensively, Martinez, I think, had one save to make. Courtney Hawes, there was a lot of people moaning about him coming in, um, you know, before the game. But he didn't have to do anything. I don't think Chris Wood had a, had a chance, really. Um, so I think we were okay. It's just our finishing. And in that final third, El Ghazi... We'll talk about him. I think his finishing was horrific yeah. tonight, apart from the free kick, which was good. Good save from Pope. But Grealish was back in the middle. Didn't I wouldn't say he had his most influential performance. I don't think he was at his best. Troy went missing and then came back, did a few bits, then went missing again. But it was, yeah, like you said, massively, massively frustrating. And it's it's three points dropped at the end of the day. Yeah, another clean sheet. Um, but yeah, we, we 100% could have and should have got something out of that game. Yeah, someone's um, left a comment here. Obviously, for those that are listening later on, we do these live on Facebook these days. So if you've got a question or comment, you can get in touch. In the description for this, I wrote, couldn't break them down, which Zach has clearly pointed out, couldn't break them down. We broke them down fine. We just have no one that can finish, which is is probably a a fairer assessment. I was just typing in rage at the end of the 90 minutes, frustrated that we haven't actually scored. Um, Why is our finishing so bad? I mean, this is probably a question above your pay grade, but if you're creating chances, we've seen it before, haven't we, over the years that, not making chances is a difficult watch um, and you're obviously going to struggle if you don't make chances. Villa are getting in good positions now and finding themselves with with opportunities in games. But Anwar Ghazi, I mean, we'll talk about him in a little bit more detail later on, but the ones that are on target roll into the goalkeeper's arms at two miles an hour. The ones that are off target fly off into, into the back of an empty hole and what is going on with our finishing? I don't know. I think you go back to, say, the 10 games after lockdown, we come back, we create absolutely nothing, and then mm-hmm. we take the minimal chances that we have. But now it's so, so different. We create. Creating chances is not the problem. That isn't isn't the problem. We are absolutely fine with that. It's just that last ball, that last shot. And like you said, the Amor Ghazi thing, like, he will, he will just 
blast it into the upper hole or it will just dribble down the middle of the goal to Nick Pope for him to just pick up like it's a back pass. It's, it's just bizarre. So I think, okay, El Ghazi, you can kind of excuse it a little bit because he played 15 minutes at the end of the Wolves game. Um, but this season, he hasn't played a lot of football. I don't think he's started any games, has he? I don't know. But yeah, okay, you can slightly blame that on rustiness. Bertrand Traore, again, he frustrated me, frustrated mm. me uh, a lot during the game because I think he's so heavily left-footed. I think he had a chance in the first half, didn't he, where it fell on his right and he's just thinking, smack it. Just yeah, and he's still going to it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was just, oh, he's so unconfident on that right foot. And we know exactly when we're watching it, you know, oh, he's going to want to cut inside. He's going to go that side. So it's easy for defenders, but... I'll finish in. I just don't know. 27 shots and we haven't scored. I don't. Did Nick Pope make many like proper good saves apart from the free kick? I think most of them blasted yeah. over. Like I said, seven on target. Uh, yeah, I was going to say, I don't know how many were on target. I've seen the stat or Amazon mentioned about it being 27, on, 27 shots total for Villa. Um, there's obviously the couple that hit the post, hit the bar. The Mings had one, the chance at the end that wasn't saved, but just drops. You know, into, That's the only time Nick Pope's not moved to make a save. I mean, Villa worked a, a good free kick and got a good chance. Mings has got all the time in the world, connects well with the header and just drops wide of the, of the post. Um, yeah, not making not making chances would concern me more in the in the long term, but a lack of good finishing is is difficult as well. As much as we're talking about players with poor finishing, we haven't even mentioned Ollie Watkins yet. Now, I don't know what to quite make of Ollie Watkins at, at the moment because don't get me wrong, he's a, he's a very good player and he's already scored what is it six or seven goals for us, mm. um, maybe six in the league. I really like Ollie Watkins, but I feel like sometimes he goes missing a little bit. And as much as we're making good chances, he doesn't seem to be on the end of many of them. I don't know why that is. Is he the one creating the chances and he's floating out wide too much? Is that potentially an issue? Or he's coming a bit too deep? But if we're making so many chances, I want to see Ollie Watkins hanging on the, the edge of the six-yard box waiting to tow boat them in. That's that's his job as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, there was, a, there, was, there was a few tough ones. I think, like you said, he does find himself out on the wing an awful lot, doesn't he? And then when he collects the ball out on the wing, there's no one in the box because Bertrand Chiorre has gone back. Grealish has come back to centre-half to collect the ball. So there's no one near him for him to swing the uh, swing the ball into the box too. I, I don't think he's the problem. I think there was a lack of service um, for Watkins tonight. I think El Ghazi had all the chances, didn't he? Yeah. Um, but yeah, Watkins, I, I don't think you can blame it on him. I think a few times, you know, the ball goes out and you can see that quick movement. He knows where to go, but it, it just the service doesn't go to him. Um, I think the crosses weren't great tonight from corners. We keep on playing them short and then it hits mm. the first man and then Burnley will counter. That's frustrating as well, the short corners thing. Um, and then when we do put the corners into the box, they get headed over the bar. But I don't think Watkins was the problem. I've still got full faith in him. He looks lively. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah definitely. But I don't, I don't think he's the problem at all. But it's, it's still massively frustrating. What did you think when you saw the the lineup originally? Because it was obviously we all knew that Douglas Luiz and, and Cash were going to be missing. I thought it'd be on Mohamedy to face Burnley. I thought that felt like a right decision to me. People were asking why did Gilbert not start? I don't think Elmo did anything particularly wrong. I think the Cambrian midfield didn't really do. I mean, he didn't do much wrong. But he didn't do much right either. To be fair, um, and Courtney Hawes was the one that was a surprise with with um, Esri Conta being being ill is is all we know so far as as we're recording this. Um, hopefully, nothing too serious. Um, obviously, COVID or, or whatever, or whether it was an injury. But again, Courtney Hawes wasn't an issue. He, I think he won pretty much every header he went for. We looked okay. It's just the, the lack of finishing that's let us down tonight, isn't it? That's the, that's the yeah. main problem. The, the team lineup, as much as it was about three or four changes, we played all right for the most part. It was just a, an irritating watch. 
Yeah, I just think it was one of them games. And the longer the game went on, you you could just know this is going to be one of them games. But when when the team sheet came out, we obviously knew there was going to be no cash, there was going to be no Louise. Um, but like you said, Konsa was was the strange one. He's out with illness. Um, but yeah, Nakamba tonight, you can tell that we are massively missing Louise. I just think they're, they're totally oh, different yeah. players. Louise, you saw it. Uh, for Watkins' goal against Arsenal, he's got you know that splitting pass in his locker where Nakamba is more of a, t- a tackling player. He's not the one who wants the ball at his feet. He's going to collect it, move on, go into strong tackles. That's what he's about. That's not Louise's game, and you can you can tell the difference there. Um, but yeah, like I said, Hawes did absolutely nothing wrong. I don't think he was troubled too much. He was good in the air, uh, won all all of his headers pretty much. So he wasn't the mm. problem. Um, so I don't think that's an area to worry about. But just thank God the Louise thing isn't an injury; it's a suspension. So we know that he'll be back. Um, on Sunday against West Brom because we missed him massively tonight. As much as Nakamba and Louise aren't the same player, Nakamba, Louise and Harahan aren't, aren't the same player. But what does Conor Harahan have to do to get even a minute in this side? It doesn't even come off the bench these days. And knowing, having, I mean, humble brag here, this is, this is not meant in this, this just came out of nowhere. Having met him a couple of times for, for work-related reasons, I know, I said your face. Um, <laughs> he seems the guy that's, you know, he's come up to all the leagues, he's a hard worker, he's a grafter, he's not going to be happy sat on the bench. Um, so what has he got to do to get, get a look in, in this team or has he just got to look, look elsewhere I'm going to sing his praises here which is going to get a lot of stick because whenever you yeah. talk about Warhan on, on Twitter or social media you get two sides of the arguments people saying oh why would you bring him on he doesn't offer anything and you get the other side of the fan base which think like myself he offers something and when yeah. you're in a game that's nil-nil against Burnley and you, you do have all the ball you're having all the chances you put him on I don't, I don't understand it and Dean Smith waits far too long for my liking to make subs and you know brought what Davis on in the 85th minute touched the ball about three times but if I was Horahan I'd be thinking what do I have to do to get on the pitch you bring him on he's got a record of scoring goals getting assists getting further forward and he's fresh legged as well because I think Traore looked knackered as the game went on. Al Ghazi yeah. looked knackered. So you bring on, I don't know, Horahan in the midfield, fresh legs in the midfield, maybe move Grealish out wide, um, where I think he'd be maybe a little bit more effective. But I just don't get why Horahan isn't playing because it happened um, in the Wolves game when that was getting scrappy towards the end of the game as well. He didn't come on there either, which is is worrying to be fair because I, I don't understand why because he's you look at our bench and we said the same last year. There isn't There isn't a fat lot there. I think like you said, well, we've got Davis, haven't we, as a striker replacement. He's the only real yeah. option. There was no wingers on the bench, was there? I don't think so, because Trezeguet was injured. Trezeguet's injured, yeah. Yeah, so he's, he's our you know, number one attacking substitution, in my eyes. That's what he should be anyway. So it's a little bit bizarre. People might disagree because Horahan is one of them players that splits opinion. But for me, I think in a game like that, you've just got to throw him on and, and hope for the best because he will get in those attacking positions. And when we have created so many chances... You bring him on because he's likely to finish them. But yeah, it was a strange one that I just don't really understand it. Yeah, there's an interesting point here from Luke Evans who talks about Connor's role. It's weird because Elmo, to me, like I said, felt like the the, the right move to play. Courtney Hawes is going to win everything in the air against the Burnley side. They're going to go long. They've got tall, tall players. If they get set pieces, that works. That makes sense from Dean Smith. Luke says that Connor would have done the same job as Marvellous Nakamba did today anyway. With us having so much of possession of the ball, a better player in that holding role would have been more suited against Burnley. Nakamba's not really had a fat lot to do in terms of breaking Burnley down because everything goes over the top of his head anyway. So I want to have somebody in there that can be a bit better with their feet that when Villa do have possession, I don't know what the stat was, but we have a lot of the ball. We had a lot of free kicks as well. El Ghazi obviously took, took the best one that was saved by Pope. It makes sense that Harahan should have probably played today, I think. And and the fact that he's not even come on for a single minute, that that is concerning, I think. 
Yeah, you, you need you, you probably want a player in the midfield who another player to add to McGinn to add to Grealish who is comfortable with the ball at their feet. Yeah, wanna... replacing Barkley to a, to a lesser extent. Yeah, exactly. And when you're replacing someone like Barkley with Nakamba, it's a bit of a strange one. And like you said, the ball they went long, 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 long all night, and it just wasn't the game for Nakamba. And yeah, okay, he was before the game. You know, 2020 hindsight, it was wonderful and all that sort of stuff. But he was the obvious <laughs> obvious option to come in for Louise. But, you know, looking back on it, you'd probably want Horhan in there because I don't know who it was, whoever, whoever's comment just came up. He is he, he would be the right option because he can do that same job. You know, in the mm. past, he's been that attacking midfielder. But recently, he we've seen that he can play that, you know, deeper sitting role. And he's got that pass about him. Um, so when you've got another player in the team who, who can do that over over marvellous Nakamba, he didn't have a lot to do. I don't think he did anything wrong. Like, I'm not slamming Nakamba. It just wasn't the game no, for no. him. Um, but yeah, I, I don't get that. Whether it'll change anything for West Brom, I think, oh, I don't know. I don't know, but it's a strange one with Connor. We'll come on to, to West Brom towards the end of the podcast. Um, I just wanted to speak about El Ghazi and it's a difficult one, El Ghazi, because what's happened with him with the social media stuff. We saw Tyro Ming speaking before the game about don't abuse the players and stuff, which is, I absolutely fully agree with everything that he said. I'm not here to sit and say El Ghazi was this, El Ghazi was that. It's just happened to be a bit of a coincidence that he's the player to talk about tonight that hasn't played that great. But like I said, I'm not going to sit here and slate him. There's a few comments in here saying what exactly what Tyro Ming said. Someone saying he should never play for Aston Villa again don't personally agree with stuff like that but everyone's entitled to their opinion we're just two guys here on a podcast there's 250 people watching who all, all support Villa hopefully and all have their own opinions that's absolutely fine but El Ghazi to me that sums up exactly the kind of player that he is he will have chances he'll do he'll do little flicks here and there he'll have a couple of good dribbles he'll, he'll link up well with with Grealish or Target or whoever down that left hand side he'll cut in and you think oh there is a bit of a player there and then he'll balloon it into Rosehead, or he'll just dribble it across the floor to, like, to like you know, like a pass back, dribble it along the floor, back to the goalkeeper, and he's such a frustrating player to watch. And I know he's been effective in the past, and he scored some some big goals for us, and been there in big moments. And ultimately, at the moment, we've got nobody else. And this is the debate of whether Jack plays wide or not, or back in the cent- in central midfield. I mean, you could argue that Grealish stays out on the left wing, and Conor Harahan plays in midfield today, and Al Ghazi doesn't play at all, but. He, went, he scores the penalty against Wolves, deserves his chance to come in tonight. And you, you look at that and think, yeah, fair enough. That's, that makes, you know, that's the right decision from Dean Smith to bring him in and let him play. And for the most part, besides his finishing, he's had an okay game. But because he's such a frustrating player, I can see why fans are, are quick to get on his back. What do, you, what do you make of El Ghazi, mate? I mean, after that, he's the easy target, isn't it? And I think it's a yeah. little bit of a cop-out to go, it's El Ghazi's fault, we haven't won that game. Yeah, yeah. Him, not that. You know, like He has had the better chances in the game, but you, you asked me on the 70th minute, I'd say he's been one of our better players. Mm. Um, you know, Going forward, it all goes through him. He looks lively and he's so clearly in a confidence player. Like he, Before the game, all Villa fans would have said, yeah, it's the right option, you've got to start him after mm-hmm. you know the penalty at Wolves and that would have done his confidence the world of good and he is a confidence player so 100% you start him and he looked back to that El Ghazi that we saw at West Brom away in 2018 that we always go back to where he was just incredible that night and he wasn't up to that standard obviously but he looked much much better than he had done I remember him playing against Stoke in the Carabao Cup and he just went absent in that game as well so his confidence is back I still think it'll be relatively high after tonight because he did do a lot of a lot of good things it was just it was just his finishing that let him down. And we ha- th- there is a finisher there because we've seen it in the past. He scored a couple of really, really good goals, even against Burnley at home last year with that flick finish. That was that was really, really good. So there is a player there. The free kick in the first half was really, really good. That was an unreal save from Pope. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'd, I'd probably keep it, give him the shirt again for West Brom because 
he did pretty much everything right tonight, apart from his finishing. And like I said, it is the cop out to point at him and say it's his fault that we haven't won. But I don't know. It is a tough one. It's so, so frustrating with the finishing thing. But apart from that, I think he did a lot of things really, really well tonight. So you've got to give him praise as well. Yeah, this could be any player that we're having a go at here. It just happens to be a coincidence. It's our guy who's been involved in this kind of thing recently. There's a comment here from Zach Ratkovsky. Ratkovsky? I think it's Ratkovsky. He says, I think overall, our guys who played well, just the final product was shocking, which is exactly what you've just said. Uh, Maybe a little bit of over-eagerness to make his mark, especially after being on the bench since the start of the season, which is is probably a fair point. he scored the the winner against Wolves, gets his chance to play uh, not, not or hopefully 90 minutes for, against Burnley. Wants to come in and impress back at home. Um, and he's on the ball a lot. You can see him, you can tell he's frustrated, can't you? He's that kind of player that he'll, he'll know he's not had a great, a great game tonight in terms of his finishing. For Albion, though, you think he, he keeps his place and Jack, Jack stays central? Or do we change it up somehow? Because Albion's going to be... As frustrating, isn't it? If not more so than what we've just seen tonight with, with Sam Allardyce going there. His first game, he would not want to lose no matter what on Sunday Sunday night, I think it is. We looked at this run of fixtures on the last podcast of uh, tonight, West Brom and Crystal Palace, and we were going seven points should be the minimum there, but nine nine is a genuine possibility. Mm. Someone earlier in the comments said that four points out of Wolves away and Burnley at home is probably okay because you would have thought we'd maybe have drawn to Wolves and then won tonight. So overall, it's probably a little bit of perspective that we're creating chances, it'll come. We're not a bad team. It just wasn't our night tonight in front of goal, basically. Yeah, I think Dean Smith has said it all season, hasn't he? He's like, every interview after the game, he's saying, the performances have been there. It's just, we can't score. And it's, it's a tiny bit worrying that this keeps on happening. Yeah, a little bit. This this game was similar to the Brighton game when we had so many chances and didn't get anything out of the game. Okay, we got a point tonight, but it should have been three. Um but yeah, for, for the Alvin game, that, that's a bit weird because what I do is probably different to what Dean Smith would do. If it was me, people might know, okay, I like Horahan. I'll probably put him back in, move Grealish out back on the left where he's been all season and he's been fantastic goals and assists. And then maybe play Ocasio on the other side and take out Troy Ore. Is that a little bit harsh on him? But I don't know. I'd probably move Jack back out on the left-hand side and play Horahan because... I want to see him play, but I think Smith will stick with El Ghazi and I wouldn't be against that because, like I said, I think he had a decent game tonight apart from his finishing. Um, but yeah, it's it's going to be a tough one. Like you said, I don't. I think Albion's going to be tough. I think when Al- when Allardyce got appointed the other day, a lot of Villa fans were saying, "Oh, no chance. We're going to lose. Hundred percent. We're going to lose." I think that's a little bit unfair. Like they've still got the same quality of player, um, and it's Sam Allardyce. It's not Pep Guardiola. So I don't know. I think it's, it's still going to be tough. Don't get me wrong. Like I think it'll be a tight, scrappy game like it was tonight. Like you said, Albion are not going to want to lose. Sam Allardyce is not going to want to lose. So who knows? It could easily go either way. It's going to be a tight game again, but we'll see. There's a comment here from James Green who says, Barkley is back Sunday, Smith just said, and Rick Barley also says the same. We're recording this live straight after the game, so we don't know. I mean, I'm assuming the two comments mean that's probably true. Um, <laughs> if people let us know if Dean Smith has actually said this or whether we're on the wind-up or not. If he is back, how much of a boost is that and how does that affect the, the team news that you've just given me there? <laughs> I mean, I've just given you a massive ramble about what I do, but that goes straight out the window. I, I, assume, I assume Conor Harahan doesn't get in if Ross Barkley's back on Sunday. Yeah, yeah, I think you do exactly what I said. <laughs> But um, you'd play Barkley instead of Horahan. I think you can see in the last few games we've missed him. Um, and going back to Jack, it looks like the Jack that we had last year where he hasn't got quality around him and he's, he's trying a little bit too hard maybe, trying to do it all himself. But 
if you get Ross Barkley back next to Jack Grealish and we're in a tight, scrappy game like Sunday is most likely going to be, I think that's going to going to benefit everyone and just give Jack a lift. It's going to give the whole squad um, a lift. So if we do that, I think, yeah, you move Grealish out on the left-hand side, play Barkley as the 10, um, and then McGinn, Louise, uh, back sit, and then I'll probably play Anwar where Trezeguet's been in the past on the right hand side. But yeah, Barkley comes back, give everyone a massive, massive lift, and makes me so much more confident uh, for mm. Sunday. Yeah, and also Douglas Louise, Matty Cash coming straight back in as well. Barkley missed a few games, but he comes back in, Grealish goes out wide, mm. and it's a toss up between Trezeguet and El Ghazi on the right hand side for me. Not massively fussed which one of those players. I don't think Trezeguet was that bad. Like you said at the opening of this podcast, there were times where he came into the game and you think, oh yeah, he's a decent player in there. And other times he's, he, he's too one-footed and too predictable. And you think, oh yeah, he's, we're going to get caught out if we have to rely on him for too long. Um, I just want to ask you your kind of general mood about, about Villa at the moment and at the season so far because it's hard to keep up with the comments when they come in so fast when we're doing these live. But some people are looking at it going, Villa aren't good enough. I'm a little bit concerned. Get rid of Dean Smith. I've just seen comments come in, which, as I said before, <laughs> opinions are fine. And other people saying, you know, calm down. It's our first draw of the season. We've won more than we've lost. We're playing good football. Things will be okay. So what's your kind of general mood of what you've seen so far from Villa this season? Because I think with a bit of perspective, like you just said earlier, um, like you said just, about seeing Jack Grealish with players around him that aren't as, as talented effectively. That's what we've been used to over the last couple of years. And yeah. the start of this season shown that we are a better team with Doug Zouise, Cash, Barkley in there, Watkins... Tonight did feel a little bit like we were relying on, on Jack to, to to bring a bit of magic to be able to, to beat Burnley and he couldn't quite do it. Jack specifically, there was times where he's, he's passed the ball and he should be shooting and he's shooting when he probably should be passing, which we've seen him do a little bit as well. But what's your kind of general mood is in my long-winded question there of what you've seen of Villa? I'm still happy. Like you've, you've just got to have a little bit of perspective. Like We came 17th last year and we're at, at one point off getting relegated and playing Rotherham and Wickham. Um, you know what I mean? So you've got to have perspective. I think, look, why are we 11th with two games in hand on yeah. most of the teams around us? So we win one of them, we go to what, 7th, 8th? We win both of them, we go pushing top six, top four. So that's incredible. Like you would have said that this time last year when we were near the bottom of the table, fine with the mm-hmm. likes of Norwich and Bournemouth and teams like that. You would have, you know, snapped your hand off. So you've got to have perspective. I'm still massively happy. We've had, I don't think there's been too many points this season where I've looked at us and watched us and thought, oh, we're playing like horrific football here this is awful to watch okay tonight was awful to watch but I don't think it was because we were struggling I think it was just our finishing and you know another night we score four we score five so I don't think that's that's not Dean Smith's fault it's not Dean Smith's fault that Amor Algarzi puts a p-roller down the middle of the goal (laughs) Um, so I I don't think it's his fault at all I'm still 100% behind him he's definitely the man uh, for the job but I think it will come the more this the, the more this team gels and plays together It'll come eventually, and we'll have. We won't be down there. I think you watch the sides down there: Brighton, Fulham last night, um, West Brom have struggled. Um, mm. So yeah, I think we'll be absolutely fine. Push for top ten. I'm still a hundred percent happy with this season. Yeah, totally agree. I don't know whether my math is correct. I'm looking at the league table now. We've got 19 points at the moment. I'm pretty sure when we went into lockdown in March last year, we were on 25. Is that right? Or 24? Yeah, that, yeah, that rings a bell. Yeah, like we're not far off last season's total. <laughs> A uh, bad point already before the miraculous escape of the last four games. So the, the difference is is night and day between this year and last year. Um, I said at one of the first few podcasts of the year that it'd be you know be criminal if this side is involved in a relegation battle this year because we're just too good for that. I think it's it's probably a little bit of expectations, isn't it? You start well and you beat people like Liverpool, Arsenal, and Leicester, and you think yes, here we come, top eight, top six, and then you 
fail to to score against Burnley and you lose to Southampton that the second half against Leeds was poor that's probably the only time I've looked at us and thought god we were we were nowhere near it there that that Leeds game and I think Dean Smith has said something similar um but we'll, we'll I think we'll win more games than not won't we basically we'll beat teams for some reason I think the frustrating thing is you do beat the good sides so you look at our game in Ham Man City and you look at that I think oh you never know we might be able to to get something there, and then now the game in Newcastle will probably be the one that we're struggling. I think that's why fans get frustrated that if we can turn it on against Liverpool, why can't we do the same to Burnley? Yeah, it's a cliche, isn't it? But there's no fans in the ground. There's no home games. There's no away games. So this season, you just don't know what you're going to get. And it was mad that we're 11 games into the season. That was our first draw tonight. Like, mm-hmm. it could, Generally, every game you go into, it could swing either way with the fact there's no fans and, and everything to do with that. So... Look, we, we don't know. We could be pushing top six at the end of the season. We could be struggling in mid-table. We just don't know. And like you said, we play the big sides. And you do fancy us. And that's 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 exciting. I'd rather yeah. do that than, you know, last season we come up against these big sides and we just roll over and get smashed. Um, so, look, it's it's better to watch this season. Maybe not tonight, but in general, it was, it was a lot better. So, I'm still happy. Still happy. Totally agree. We'll talk about uh, the fan situation just before we, before we go. I mean... I said before we started, um, let's uh, let's get this streamed on the Villa on Tour channel as well. With one season that Villa are actually good, you you pack in the videos, mate. I know obviously you can't go to games and that's a massive factor, but are, are you missing the, uh, the the match day? Not the match day experience of, of going to games. Obviously, I know that you missed that, but the the idea of producing videos, doing doing your, your stuff like that, do you miss it? Or because yeah, um, this is the first time you've probably spoken about Villa on a podcast this year, maybe. Yeah, I, I do the odd bit, um, but it's, it, it is annoying. Like the whole Villa on tour thing was based around going to games with my mates and, and having a laugh and celebrating goals, going crazy, falling down flights of stairs and things like that. But it was it was different. I think I did the live reactions um, in lockdown and sat in my bedroom and reacted to games, and that was good. But you know, it, it just came became a little bit too much. Um, but in general, it's it's massively annoying. Who knows when we come back? I just just get me back in that full Villa Park, and who knows, uh, Villa on tour might come back. But it seems a long way off at the moment. But we'll see. Who knows? Eventually, it might come back. But I don't know. We'll still be watching on Amazon. We'll still be watching on BT, paying all these paying all these subscriptions. But hey ho, what can you do? I think we've spoken about this off air. But what what are your thoughts on the on the fans returning? You know, we're getting not two thousand back, four thousand back, whatever it is. Are you one of those people that just want to see fans back in any capacity, or would you rather it be forty two thousand or, or nothing? Yeah, obviously, I want it to be a full Villa Park, uh, absolutely rocking. And I think that day where Villa Park's full again will be, oh, be so good, absolutely incredible. Um, but me personally, if we're allowed 2,000 in Villa Park. I'll be there. I'll be the first one through the turnstiles. Put my mask on, whatever I have to do. Sanitise my hands. Just get me in. Of course, <laughs> it's not normal. It's not what we want to do. We want to go back to normal, but we, we can't do that. It's not an option. So I think, you know, we've seen a few. I think it is a tiny bit unfair that some teams have had 2,000. And I know yeah, it is more teams now because London's gone into into tier three. It is a little bit unfair. Like you saw Palace the other day against Tottenham. It sounded like there was a full stage and that, that was crazy. Um, but... Yeah, it's annoying. I'll be the first one through Villa Park. Like, I actually can't wait to get back there. But it'll be nothing like the 42,000 we'll see when we all get back eventually. That'll, that'll just be something else. I mean, we're venturing into doom and gloom territory now and talking about <laughs> government restrictions, which I'm definitely not going into on a podcast. But how long do you think it's going to be before we get a full stadium back in Villa Park? I was thinking about this only only today. My last game, besides the, the cup final um, at Wembley, my last game at Villa Park was the Leicester semi-final. Ooh, that was January, wasn't it? I, it, it might it have been the end of January. I thought it was February, but I think it is the end of January because I missed the last 
the last home game at Villa Park in the Premier League was Tottenham and I missed yeah. it because I was ill with a bad flu which could have been oh, something wow. else back then <laughs> um, so I missed that game and I know obviously it wasn't a, a positive result anyway I was at the cup final um, that was March 1st wasn't it Yeah. my last my last game at Villa Park before that was the February semi-final I had the, the week of the Leicester game and the Watford last minute winners two in a row which great memories to look back on but when you consider that was almost a year ago since the last time I went to Villa Park like when are we going to be back in there full stop and when are we going to see 42,000 cheering up? I mean, well, what I hope happen is we'll get 42,000 in there and we'll lose 5 now, won't we? That, that'd, be peak, that'd be peak, Villa. Yeah, 100%. I think you, I don't think you're going to get it this season. You're not going to get a full stadium this season. Um, you no. might get the two, the four, the 6,000. I think there's been plans about Villa are able. They have got, you know, the, the plans to make it 12,000. Um, when that will happen, if that will happen, I don't know. But I, I just don't see you getting a full stadium, maybe even for another year. Like the whole... Again, like you said, don't want to talk about the government, the vaccine, all that sort of rubbish, but it's, it's going to be a long time, isn't it? I think you are talking autumn, you know, next year, maybe even winter. So who knows? And it, it is kind of sad because we've got used to just sitting down and watching it on the telly, which which yeah. isn't normal. Like the people that go to the games, have season tickets, whatever. It, it shouldn't be like that. And, you know, we have sort of forgotten what it's like to go to a game because my last game was the 4-0 away defeat to Leicester. And that was just horrific. Like, it's, not, it's not a good way to go out. Obviously, the cup final was nice. Yeah, we lost. It was a good day out though. Um, yeah. But yeah, it's it's gonna be it's gonna be a while. Definitely not this season of full Villa Park, in my opinion. Just before we go, besides obviously the the usual drinking with your mates and celebrating goals and all the rest of it, is there anything specifically you can think of that you miss about Villa Park? Like just a weird little thing? Is it like the routine? Because that's what I always say when people ask me this: it's the routine of getting up and knowing it's match day, leaving at the certain time before kick off that we always leave, the car park mm. we always go to, the food stand that we always go to. It's that routine of knowing and that almost like comfort of this is what the day is going to look like. Is there anything you specifically look at and think, ah, oh, I'd love to hear that noise or see this thing? It's just it's just the day in general, isn't it? Like you do it now and Villa kick off at three, for example. You do stuff throughout the day. You sit down at 2.50, 2.55 and then you've got two hours. But if you do, you go to games, you've got the whole day. You can go to the yeah. pub for the game. You can do whatever you want. Um, get into Villa Park, get your chicken balti pie, listen to Hi Ho Aston Villa, yeah, all that sort of stuff. Uh, so yeah, it is frustrating, man. But it's just the whole day, isn't it? Because like I said, now it's a couple of hours. Um, you come on to a podcast, moan about Burnley at home, being <laughs> and then go to bed. Whereas if this was at Villa Park, it'd be queuing yeah. in the train station in the freezing cold wind on a Thursday night, and that's what makes it. But yeah, we'll, we'll be back eventually. Are you a Bovril man, by the way, with your chicken balti pie? I've never had Bovril. I've heard oh, a lot about God. it. It's just gravy, isn't it? <laughs> basically, yeah, basically hot gravy in a cup. What, mm, what a nice. <laughs> Liquid Marmite. Um, yeah, we'll get out of the intricacies of the, the ingredients of uh, Bovril. Thank you very much, Max, for jumping on our post-match podcast. I really do appreciate you helping us out and it's been a great to chat Villa with you. Um, hopefully you've enjoyed it. Yeah, nice one, mate. Thanks for having me on. Hopefully we'll uh, we'll get you back on at some point if you fancy it. If you ever want to bring back Villa on tour and you need another podcast to give you a shout out, then you know you know where we are if you need help in house. <laughs> Thank you very much, Max. Thanks everyone here for joining in uh, live on Facebook and YouTube at half eight on Thursday evening, just right after the game. Uh, for those of you who are listening after the fact on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you listen to your podcasts, where do you listen to your spot, uh, podcast, Max? You I'm an Apple Podcast kind of guy. Yeah, me too. For Apple Podcasts. So if like us, you are on Apple Podcasts, scroll down and leave us a, a review, hopefully five stars, otherwise don't bother. Um, but yeah, thank you everyone for tuning in. We'll be back on Sunday after the Albion game, where hopefully it's not another nil-nil draw against uh, Sam Allardyce, which is probably going to be, isn't it? Let's face it. Um, yes, thanks everyone for tuning in and we'll catch you again soon. 
Thank you for listening to Claret and Blue, an Aston Villa podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, then please let us know. We love hearing your feedback. We'll be back soon with another episode. Until then, up the villa. Up the villa.